Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Okay, episode 86 for the love of the game, as you can probably figure out by now. This episode's going to sound a little different. Uh, as everybody knows, it kind of took the media by storm. Um, sports media, mainstream media, all media outlets by storm. Uh, the NBA had a stoppage of play for a couple of days uh, due to the incident uh, involving with uh, Jacob Blake. Um, this is, you know, a, a sports story, but it's larger than sports. So uh, we're doing a little different tonight, a little bit off-brand. So I have a, a first-time guest, a very special guest, uh, somebody who uh, is currently a columnist at The Forward. Um, he writes about politics and culture. Uh, he's going to be an adjunct assistant professor at NYU. Uh, his work, uh, in terms of writing, has appeared in the Wall Street Journal, Tablet Magazine, the New York Observer, and other publications. Uh, he's a, a good family friend of mine, uh, Mr. Ari Hoffman. Ari, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for doing this, my guy. Aaron, it's such a pleasure to be here. As they, as they say on the station that you and I listened to growing up, First time, long time here. Uh, it's a pleasure, pleasure to be on board. Amen to that. I really, um, considering that you know this uh, work stoppage in terms of in terms of sports, but initiated by the NBA, was the first time that this has happened since 1961. I figured, you know, as as you well know, as a, a listener of this show, I generally keep things light, but this was a uh, a big deal in a sense because. Yeah. Uh, First time in over 60 years that this has happened, so I, I felt like we needed to talk about it. So I, I wanted to ask you, when uh, you, you heard the news on um, on Wednesday that uh, that the players were going to protest, that they weren't going to play the game, and that the and everything that ensued afterwards, um, what were your initial reactions to the stoppage? Sure. Let me just step back and, and for our listeners, uh, make two quick broader points. The first is that these, this is a truly unique moment. Um, I think we've all lived through moments in history when there is kind of one crisis that we had to deal with as a society, terrorism or a political crisis uh, or a natural disaster like Sandy or a hurricane. What we're dealing with now are multiple overlapping crises. We're dealing with a health crisis that is ongoing. We're dealing with a social crisis that we'll get into a little bit. And we're dealing with an economic crisis on top of an election year. So, you know, this is, these are the kinds of conditions where the unexpected happen and when things can get, can get volatile. Um, and so, you know, I'm sure all of you listening have had that experience um, of sort of, feeling like your life, it looks very different than you thought it might look. Um, and, and, you know, sports are no exception. You know, the second point is that, you know, sports, it, on the one hand, sports are our escape from the world, right? Sports are the things that you put on when you don't want to think about your job. You want to focus just on what happens between the lines or in the court. Um, on the other hand, sports have always played a social and cultural function. Um, think of Muhammad Ali. Um, think of, you know, in a different age, think of Jackie Robinson, think of Jesse Owens, thinking of um, Olympians raising their fists. Um, you know, so um, sports has this dual role where on the one hand, it's a space apart. 
on the other hand, it's representative of so much that's happening in our society. Now, to the point of my reaction. Well, hold on. Before I get to your reaction, just because yeah. I wanted to respond to one thing you said. Um, first of all, yeah. I, I agree with all those things. Um, and and for, for those who are going to be listening, you know, this is a very layered, nuanced conversation, right? So in an age and an era where things are taken out of context a lot, right? And we're going to get to some of that in a second, right? And we're going to touch on a lot of things you said and a lot of the comparisons between, you know, today's athlete, Muhammad Ali. All that's going to be discussed here. This is, a, and again, this is a very nuanced, layered conversation that you can only do it justice if you have it in the totality. And I guess my, I ask uh, the listeners, because I'm sure that there are going to be people who are going to get offended by some of the things we say, because we're really going to try and keep this as apolitical as possible. But as I'm sure, it, it, you know, there will be political bleed-ins. So just take that into consideration. So with that said, um, go ahead in terms of uh, your, yeah. your initial reaction to the stoppage. Sure. I mean, my reaction was was I had a flashback, and that was to the end the stop the NBA stoppage in March. Um, I remember being out with some friends and at a bar in in Manhattan, and seeing you know the game was on in the background, and and uh, Zion was getting ready to take the court in the late game, and all of a sudden you know the news came that the NBA had had suspended. Um, play and for a lot of us, that was kind of when COVID truly began um, yep. for us, um, and that feeling of wow, the world's going to look a lot different, right? So, so we're we're existing in a COVID world to begin with, and so if that was a response to the health issues with COVID, the most recent stoppage was um, a response to some of the social issues that have come about in the wake of in the last few months. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's a nice illustration, I think, of this way in which this, the world keeps, you know, sports tries to carry on. But, you know, the NBA might be in a bubble, but we're increasingly seeing that that bubble is permeable um, in certainly in terms of information, um, if not if not health wise. Um, you know, to be honest, Aaron, my feeling was was complicated. On the one hand, you know, there was. Um, I'd never seen any, we'd never really seen a kind of walkout like that before that wasn't tied to labor issues. You know, I remember the strike and the baseball strike in 94, I was very young and I remember other, you know, labor stoppages. On the other hand, I said, listen, we, we lived without sports for months and months and months. You know, I, I want to see games, you know, and I get that response too of sort of the ability to play is itself a powerful social act. Think of, baseball um and and the nfl after 9 11 right and 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 yep. what sports meant at that time just by happening you know without taking a particular stance necessarily but just but the ability to bring people together those were some of the things that ran through my head and you've and you've seen with um you know the nba players in orlando in the bubble per se or, or the or the campus that they've built you know they've they've whether you agree with it or not, and and we may touch on some of this too, is you know later on in the show. But they've done, you know, they've made it a point to bring awareness to to social issues, whether it's you know the painting on the court or the or the name, you know, the different phrases in the back of the jersey. Like they went into right. this, you know, with right. with the mission to 
to raise awareness on certain things. And, you know, it, it's very visible whether you agree with and it or not. It's very visible. And this is something we haven't this is something we haven't seen before. I mean, no. you know, the, the the notion of a of a uniform, right, is that the, our, our stadiums were, you know, the one of the few apolitical places you could, you know, besides the national anthem, right, which which you know brings people together. You know, for those three hours, you're a Mets or a Yankees fan. You're not a Democrat or Republican, right? Mm-hmm. So I think sports do speak to our desire for community and belonging that's not tied to politics, right? Now. Now, now we fast forward to what's happening now. And I think, you know, it's just kind of remarkable to remember sort of, um, you know, the the Colin Kaepernick kneeling controversy um, and how far, I don't know, I don't want to say how far we've come in a sort of pro or con way, but just to note the change over time um, over sort of where, where the leagues are now and where they were then. Well, hold hold that hold that Kaepernick talk because or thought I should say because I think that's going to come back around again. We'll mention him too. Um, but there's the idea of 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 protest and how effective a protest could be um, if you have nothing to lose, right? And and again, we're looking at this sort of how it played out. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks when they decided that they weren't going to take the court. They actually risked something, right? They risked forfeiting a game. You know, in a, in a playoff series, granted, they're major favorites and they're not really at risk of losing this series, which they well, which lost, they did. The fir- they lost, they lost the first game. I mean, right? Yeah, but, but yeah, but the point was like they're still willing to risk something, right? So my and I was having this conversation with my father, and I actually disagreed with him because he he mentioned it like. You know the um, the march on Washington when the um, when uh, for Soviet Jewry in the seventies, right? Where just mm-hmm. a ton of people are are coming together and and they don't really have anything to lose. But you know, he's like, was it effective? I don't know because it's like, did we really affect change in in any way? It's like it's hard to say. But for this, like, what do you think about the the notion that? In order for a protest, especially with high-profile people like like NBA mm. players, that if you don't have something to lose, mm. then then it kind of becomes, you know, less effective. Especially considering that Adam Silver didn't enforce the, you know, the um the what should we call it the forfeit and and they didn't really lose anything. They didn't lose paycheck. Sure. They didn't lose anything. So what do what do you think about that? Well, sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing to say is, you know, that that the latest incident that they were responding to, you know, happened 45 minutes away from Milwaukee. So I, I think their their position is strengthened, not only because they they potentially could have lost something, but because they they were, you know, they represented right. it's their home you know, state. The city where this was where this was happening. So so I, I'm you know, I, I think it's fair to say that there was a kind of you know, there um, increased sensitivity. You know that was, it was different than other other teams um, doing the same, and, and I think the Brewers were likewise pretty quick not to not to play for for similar reasons. Now, you know, I think the question to lo- of something to lose is really interesting. I mean, we were raised on the notion that to protest 
you know, is, is right. You have to have skin in the game, you know, people getting beaten and hosed down South or, um, you know, various incidents, let's say in Jewish history, where, where people gave their lives or risked their lives for, for the values and ideals that were important to them. But I think the way to understand this is a little bit different. I think it, it's tied to the explosion of social media and expression. When you and I were growing up, you know, we, all we knew about athletes was if they sat down for an interview with Sports Illustrated. You know, it was a big cover story. You know, Rick Riley or whoever was interviewing them. Now, I mean, everyone has a voice and everyone has a microphone. So the notion, so the notion that, you know, it's, it's, it's almost not something to lose as much as, you know, something to say. Um, and, you know, I think that that has affected all our politics. It's affected our society. And athletes who have mega platforms are going to use them. Um, and especially in a league like the NBA, right, where each where player brand is so strong, right? To some extent, the NBA has built itself as a league of superstars. Um, mm -hmm. You know, people, that's a platform, you know, and people... And people are gonna people are gonna use it um, now. You know there there had been some some conversations among some players before the bubble about people who said, well, I might not want to go in at all. Um, and that there's something to lose there. I mean, right? Players were well, well they put, yeah. Know, well, those salary, players but. those players forfeited their salary. So I, I have I have no problems. I have no problems with that. You know, if that was your choice, you made a choice. I, I believe that everybody makes choices, and you have to live with the consequence of the choices. The problem I had with this, and I don't whether I agree with what the Milwaukee Bucks did or not, is well, first of all, you know, taking a peaceful protest is is you know part of uh, the American Constitution. It's one of the things that you know our our country is founded upon, right? So that that's first and foremost. But where I I get that it's dicey is as you mentioned with the you know with the rise of social media, is that it almost becomes like keeping up with the Joneses across mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all sports, and we saw it across all sports, like because Milwaukee Bucks decided to make a stand. Mm -hmm. Adam Silver then decided, oh, we need to push everything back. And my mm -hmm. issue with that is, is that, A, and, and we'll get into, you know, politics and sports in a second and, and, and Adam Silver's politics and, and how he governs the NBA. But let's say the players on the Houston Rockets and the Oklahoma City Thunder, who were the second game of the doubleheader, or the it was a, a triple header, they were the second mm -hmm. game, right? Let's say they mm -hmm. said... You know, we want our presence on the floor to be, you know, we think that's just as important to show that not only can we make a, a, a stand for what we believe in, but sometimes bad stuff happens and you have to rise up and overcome. And, and sometimes the best thing is just to go to put your head down and go to work and because you can, right? right. Because right. you've given mm -hmm. the opportunity to do so. Those mm -hmm. players, if some thought that way that was taken away from them mm -hmm. and i don't think that's i don't think that's right right and and you know to support your point there there was reporting from inside locker rooms that there were real differences of opinion on this yes. um and you know that some players wanted to 
to cancel the whole season. Some didn't, some want to play, some didn't, as you would expect, right, among hundreds of strong-willed people, um, that there, there was a real divide about how to, how to treat this. I mean, you know, this is, and, and not to be too abstract, but this is a big problem with, with thinking about protest generally, is how do, you, how do you get a point across while retaining your individuality? You know, and I think what you're identifying is that we live in these very complicated, tumultuous times where people might have very different opinions about events and how to respond to those events. Um, and how how do you do that while also trying to sort of um, give people the freedom to make up their mind? I mean, I think part of this also is that the rituals of sports had become ironclad. You know, it was it was just a, another season, another season, another season. And I think the disruption of not playing for months and months, the idea that the games aren't a given, has meant that somehow like. It's almost like when you're in a, you have a habit of doing something, of working out, let's say, and then you kind of break the habit. It's a little bit harder to get back into it. You know, I, I think things are just much more fluid than they used to be, you know, and, and you know, the, the, who knows what can happen on a day-to-day basis. It just, it seemed to me um, that it was a lot of, uh, and, you know, obviously, this is going to be – it may be a theme throughout this entire conversation, but it seemed to me that this was almost – I don't want to say this the wrong way, but it was almost like the the idea of being in Orlando constantly without your family, um, you see something on the news, that it just got to them and they were just – they wanted to almost like get an excuse to, to not play. Right. To, to leave the campus because it was Orlando and, and whatever. And now I, I don't want to put myself in their shoes because I, I can't. I, I don't know what it's like. I can't necessarily relate. But I, I do believe that there need that sometimes the best way and and look at I don't, I don't want to compare the Jews in a sense to this. But, you know, the Jews do do a good job at this We, you know, we, we come together and sometimes we're just like, we just need to push forward. We just need to keep mm-hmm. doing what we're doing because that's our best way to right. combat stuff that's happened to us. And mm-hmm. it just seemed like whoever would have thought that way, yeah. their line of thinking was considered null and void. That wasn't important because Adam Silver made this grand gesture. Right. And it seemed to me like it was almost like pandering. And it was like, but but you don't even know who you're pandering to because not everybody thinks the same way. Sure, but but you know a couple of things here. I mean, one, you know, the nature of a of a of a, of a tournament like the, the NBA playoffs is is you can't play with one team. I mean, so so to some extent, every team is dependent on everyone else. I think the fact that it's a bubble and everyone was on top of each other, you know, probably in some ways increased the friction, but in other ways made that kind of peer pressure maybe even stronger um, to what you're, you're articulating. Um, and listen, the shift, the NBA clearly has decided that it is going to be on, broadly speaking, you know, align itself with the social movements, you know, protesting race in this country. I mean, I think that's, that's plain. Um, and that has to do with branding. It has to do with higher ups. 
but it also just has to do with the nature of a league um, that's overwhelmingly African-American um, and young, young African-American men. And not to say that, you know, everyone by any means has the same opinion, but I think it's fair to say that the workforce, the NBA's workforce, its mm-hmm. stars are particularly sensitive to this issue. And the days of a commissioner like David Stern ruling with an iron fist are gone. You know, um, I think the day, you know, everyone's a player's manager these days. Um, and Adam Silver is a player's commissioner. Well, we're, and we're going to touch on that a lot towards the end of the show. So but before we sort of move on to, like, I guess, the next talking point was, do you think it was good or bad that Milwaukee went in alone and uh, and seemed to have bothered the other players because they went in alone? What was your opinion on that? The fact that they just didn't consult anybody and were just like, you know what, we're doing this. Yeah, it's kind of a weird story, don't you think? I mean, I, I, I've, I've read, I've read about it just as much as any of our listeners have, and, and it, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't seem like it would have been that difficult to, you know, send a note or a message or whatever to the, the opposing locker room, and uh, so, and folk people in. I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I think about your earlier point that this whole experiment in the bubble has felt a little bit, you know, like on the edge the whole time. Um, and I think that's right that, you know, I don't know if players are thrilled to be there. You know, I don't know if the food has improved since J.R. Smith posted pictures of it, it has. his dinner. It has. It has. Well, well, that was good. like a two-day thing. Okay, that's good to know. But, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I think there's a fair amount of um, – of I don't know what to say of of friction and maybe a little bit a little bit unrest. I mean I think you know any protest is stronger by being wider based and it's a little confusing to me why the the Bucks wouldn't do a little bit of legwork to at least have the team they were playing you know clued in to what was to what was going on. I actually I, I will it, I will say I'm, I will say I'm, I'm I will say I'm very I'm glad that the. the that the playoffs are continuing. I, I mean, I think it would have been a real mistake. I, I think there's, you know, there any added value that not playing delivered. I mean, I'm not sure there was, but any potential, you know, I think is, you know, doesn't does, it dissipates rather than than you know augments the longer you don't play. And I think not crowning a champion and dissolving the bubble, you know, in these conditions would have been would have been a real disaster. Well, it would have been a financial disaster for the players, uh, most importantly, because they would have basically blown up the CBA and they would have had to take massive pay cuts. And it just it harkens back to this idea that, you know, when push comes to shove do these NBA players like the skin in the game, right? Their finances, that skin in the game. And then all of a sudden, it's just like, you know, cooler heads prevail, but it's a, mo- it's a money thing. And I'm not saying that's wrong, right? But, yeah. for, but for an effective protest, you, I do believe that you need to be willing to lose something, to lose something. Yeah. But anyway, I actually thought that it was fine that Milwaukee went alone because if you're looking for a shock value, like that was it, right? Right, right. And the visuals, of, uh, the visuals of sort of – you know, the magic being a court and being confused, what's going on, people yeah. waiting. Right. I mean, there was a kind of theatrics to it. Totally. So moving on a little bit. So the, the NBA players, you know, when they were convening for those two days to figure out what to do, and uh, they, they, they say they want change, right? That was the line. We want change. We want things to change, right? 
it seems to me that they don't know what that means. And you know what? And that's okay because that's not what they're paid to do, right? But like, mm-hmm. but when you can consistently say the same thing we want changed and, and you don't really know what that change is, like, do they really know what they want and do they know how to get what they want? Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's, I think that's a great question. You know, it's always, it's always easier to critique than to suggest new solutions. Um, and not to say the critique doesn't have value. I think there's, right. there's value in saying something, whatever it is, you know, something's not right. But the really hard work is to, is to suggest solutions and the way in which, I mean, you know, another part of this is which the language of change and social protest has been co-opted. And, and maybe you were alluding to this earlier by a kind of corporate NBA structure, right? So it becomes a kind of another slogan, you know, or just another buzzword. Um, and so has even less, you know, practical meaning. Um, I think, you know, I don't know. I don't, I, I will say I did think that the suggestion to turn NBA arenas into voting facilities was terrific. Yes, um, we're going to get to that in a second. Yeah, that was a major you know, positive. Yeah, so I think using, so I think, you know, that's the sort of thing that I, I think, you know, nearly everyone can get behind, hopefully. Um, but, you know, what's, what's going on on a social level in this country is very, very complicated. Um, and, you know, it's not clear to anyone what exactly should be done or should not be done. I think these players realize that their greatest asset is their megaphone, right? And, and, and they have a feeling that, you know, the places where they come from, maybe sometimes their colleagues, whatever, feel a special sensitivity to these issues. And, you know, they want to do something, you know, in that way, they're not much different than any of us. They just have a lot more money and are a lot more famous. Right. So it's funny you talk about money, right? Because, um, you know, and and LeBron James has spoken about this a lot. And, uh, and you know, my feelings about LeBron James for things that don't have to do with the basketball court. And, and one of the things that he that he asked was, was more from the owners, for the owners to be more involved. Now, mm-hmm. the owners set up a $300 million fund for un-served un, you know, communities, right, for, for different black communities. Like, is that not enough? Like, why is it always on the owners, right? Why do the owners have to be the ones to always take money out of their own pockets, right? Like, where are the players mm-hmm. talking about doing this? And, and LeBron has given back to his community a lot, but... I, but in general, it's always asking the owners to do things. And and then there's mm-hmm. the idea of this forced altruism, right? Like, like, no one should be forced to do anything. I mean, you should want to do it out of the goodness of your heart. But, like, to be forced mm-hmm. to do anything, it just seems very disingenuous. Yeah. Well, you've identified a really fascinating set of issues, Aaron, and, and there's a lot to unpack. I mean, I think – you know, I do. I do think, and, and we might disagree a little bit. I mean, the 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 wealth of the of the poorest NBA owner is multiple, multiple, multiple times that of the average player, right? I mean, there's a difference between millionaires and billionaires, and yeah, you know course. that's and that's why that's why I've always been a player's guy in terms of work stoppages, and and you know they're the talent, you know, like they're, they're, the the league doesn't exist without them. So, you know, my, I, just to put my cards on the table, I do generally feel, 
you know, that, um, and I feel that way even more so about college athletes, which is a separate, a separate conversation, but, but even professional, a more, a more um, complicated separate conversation. Sure. Sure. Um, you know, so I think the feeling generally, I think is that, you know, players have visibility, but owners have, you know, the sort of wealth and institutional connections to more effectively, um, speak or to the powers that be or sort of know how best to do that um you know but i think you're fair to say in today's social media age i mean lebron can move markets you know um or you know maybe you know the buses because they're the they're a famous ownership family but lebron is a far more famous person than i don't know nearly every nba owner so i think you're sure. right to say no that question. there's a there's a real responsibility on the players and you know i don't know i'd imagine some of them you know give back to their community and some don't you know like most any group of people um right. you know i i do think the question though of, of our owners do owners have a special responsibility here i i agree with you generally but i think it's trickier because you know a franchise is a multi-billion dollar corporation but it's also something like a public trust you know, I, I think that because of the devotion of fans, because of the communities that these these franchises represent, you know, and claim to represent, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think some sense of investment in the good of the community that is supplying you with so much revenue, you know, is probably a good practice. I'm not saying it isn't. But when you constantly go at the owners that the owners aren't doing enough, the owners this, the owners that, yeah. and then all yeah. of a sudden, and we'll get to this a little bit in terms of the pol you know, politics and sports, are they good or bad, right? You know, and and this is you know, if the ratings are down, right? The ratings are mm -hmm. down and the TV networks, because of, you know, people's political opinions and, and some people don't don't like it. And again, this is gonna be a bigger mm -hmm. conversation at the end of it. You know, the owners, when they go to the negotiating table, right, when they see numbers from TNT, ESPN, ABC, right, and they're down, and then all of a sudden mm -hmm. the players are just like crying, woe is me, that the the pie for basketball-related income is down, and then, you know, and then they, they protest like the owners are locking us out. Like, mm. You, mm. you can't have it both ways. Yeah. You just can't. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so I, yeah, I just Yeah, just, no, I think me, I think oh, sorry, always, go ahead. No 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 no. I mean I, I, I think I think you're right. I mean I think this is um you know to just say the obvious, I mean the whole the whole relationship between owners and players is very strange. I, I agree with you that there's this kind of you know, impulse of the players to, to to blame the owners. Of course, you know, without the broader finances of the game the players aren't um, aren't promoted and and won't get paid, right? So, so there, there's no question. There's a kind of mutual, you know, a mutual dependence. I mean, I think one of the issues is though when the players try to take things in their own hands, you know, um, because what they do is so much more visible, it's much more polarizing. So like the walkout. I mean, right? That players to do something, but it affects the product on the court, right? Right. Um, so, I mean, the benefit of action by the owners, theoretically, would be that, you know, the players could could then do what they do best, and some of this work could happen more behind the scenes. But oftentimes, I, I think you're right, it's an exercise in 
shifting the burden, shifting the blame, and not a little bit of hypocrisy. And and when you constantly say we want change, we want things to change, and you don't suggest any changes, it just falls on deaf ears. And yeah. and people I mean, get yeah. and people get turned off. And you know, and if people get turned off to the NBA players, it's going to have that trickle down effect as we're gonna discuss in a little bit. As we just we kind of alluded to it a little bit just now. So Yeah. A, a yeah. big I mean, thing listen, listen, there's, there's, oh, yeah. no, there's no question. There's no question that, you know, sports is, is the golden goose, right? And you, you want the goose to do some good during its time, but you don't want to kill the goose because then the goose can't do any good, right? Correct. So like, there, there's a kind of relationship between or a balance to strike. I mean, you're right. If you, if you sort of drive the goose and drive the goose and, and have it do this and that, and it, it you know, it, it, it can't do what it's supposed to do in the first place. One of the things that I, I kept hearing, and, and we're going to talk about the the timeline from Sunday, uh, the day of the shooting in, in Wisconsin, to sort of Wednesday, and it was kind of cresting for those, you know, that Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, was, you know, I, I heard it, it, it was Chris Paul after the game, and I'm sure other guys have said it along the way, but it, it's this whole notion that we need to go out and vote. We need to go out and vote, right? It's kind of been like the catchphrase in addition to we want change. We need to go out and vote, right? Mm-hmm. When they say mm-hmm. that they need to go out and vote, do they realize that they're strictly you know, talking about November 3rd and the presidential election doesn't necessarily have a whole lot of, a whole lot of direct – to do with how each state handles its police force, right? I mean, when they when they say when we go out to vote, like uh, I can't speak, you know, to them, you know, I, I can't get inside their heads. But do they realize that it comes off as basically it's 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 all about Donald Trump and it's not about you know local governments? Like I don't understand. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's right. I mean, I think I do think the benefit of emphasizing voting is that it's bipartisan or nonpartisan, right? I mean, we we were alluding a little bit to the fact that initiatives can be polarizing, initiatives can divide people, they can assume that there's, there's agreement when there's not. I mean, you know, the benefit of focusing on things like voting is it's kind of you know, it doesn't matter who you vote for as, as long as you go vote. So, so I do. Oh, come I on. Do when they said I, that, that's not what they're referring right. to. No, no. I, well, I agree. I agree. But but funding efforts, you know, and of course, if those efforts are propaganda or whatever, they those don't deserve the respect of, of being voting rights initiatives. But to the extent, like we mentioned before, of, of making use of, of, of stadiums as, as voting places, that's that's good. That's good yes. for our democracy. And it's it's good to, to have people engage um, on that level. Now, this question of how politics actually works. I agree with you. I mean, I mean, part of what's so hard about this is we live in a country of over 300 million people. Um, that's a whole continent wide. And, you know, the way these issues, because of video and sharing and, and virality, manifest is sort of something that happens anywhere becomes viewable everywhere. And, you know, and so I think we lose a sense of, of, of like the local dimension of some of these things and where these problems can can actually can actually be solved um 
and the fact that, you know, unfortunately, you're never going to fully eliminate, you know, tragedy or mistakes. You're just not. So, so the question of how you minimize them is important, but that's a less sexy, to your point, a less sexy conversation than this notion that somehow, you know, one thing can make all the difference. If we're, if, if we're really trying to achieve equality, right? And, that, and that's what, that's what we're, we're looking for, you know, real, real equality. And, and you can debate whether there is real equality or not, that, that we're not getting into that. But my point is that it, it shouldn't all be about who's sitting in office, right? Like mm -hmm. you're just, he's not the source of everybody's problems. Whether you like, whether you like him or not, hate him or not, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not all about him. And the problem with, 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 you know, the NBA players in my, in my opinion, and with the media, which we're going to talk about in a second is they've made it all about him. Mm -hmm. You know, police mm -hmm. brutality is not a Donald Trump issue, right? It's not about him. And, right. and it just, che it just cheapens what you're looking for. And, and that's if you like Donald right. Trump or not, but you need to understand that if it's all about him, you're missing the point. Totally. Um, um, well, there's there's a lot to say here. I mean, one is just the fact that immediate white hot lead up to an election, you know, and that that distorts everything. Um, we also live in an incredibly polarized society that distorts everything. Um, we also too often only listen to people we agree with and don't to people we disagree with. So all of these are, are kind of meta factors that I that I think play into this. But you know, you're and the news right. cycle is twenty four seven. You know, of news course. moves faster than ever. It moves. It moves faster than ever. You know, which is why I think you know. As, as much as we can, figuring out what the common ground is, um, especially at a moment when there's so much economic uncertainty in this country, you know, when there's so much hunger in this country, when people have lost jobs, we have so much work to do um, that, you know, I, I just think I, I'm with you that the, the, the more we can turn down the political heat, and focus on the really important substantive things, the better we'll be. So that that that's a good transition because I, I think it's important to, you know, have this conversation and talk about a little bit about the actual incident involving Jacob Blake um, and, and what happens. So as we know, the video comes out Sunday. It's a 20-second clip, right, which was weird. But not weird in a sense that that's the initial clip because I guess, you know, it's just that, that initial shock value. But the fact that it was only 20 seconds was a little something, you know, a little fishy, right? And then it comes out slowly, you know, later on in the week exactly what happened, you know, that, that he was, you know, that the police were called because he was in a place where he wasn't supposed to be, where, you know, there was a, a warrant out for his arrest, that he had prior um, sexual um, assault charges against him, where the woman who he was visiting was, right? And then we see 
the video of him in the altercation with the police officers in a physical altercation before what 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 super viral first was the image of him walking to his car, you know, resisting arrest and walking into his glove compartment and then the the police fired on him. Right. So Mm -hmm. when the initial initial video comes out, there's outrage. Right. And we just saw it with the George Floyd situation. But the point is, is that this wasn't the George Floyd case, right? Mm-hmm. This wasn't a video of of police officers, you know, kneeling on somebody's neck. And whether that was the cause of death or not, I'm not, I don't even want to get into that. But, like, the fact of the matter is that there was something wrong with how the officers handled the George Floyd case. And that, that you know, I, I'm... That's a 1,000%. You saw it on video, right? With this, mm-hmm. after all the details came out, while it was an unfortunate outcome, it was justified police work. And mm-hmm. then for, mm-hmm. the, for, for the NBA players to not acknowledge it, right? And then for the WNBA to take a stand with Jacob Blake's name across their T-shirt spelled out, or for Drew Brees mm-hmm. to wear his name on a helmet, given all the facts mm-hmm. about who he is and what actually happened that day. Like, I mean, what, what, are, what are we doing here? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you certainly, and, and thanks for, you know, laying out for, for the listeners sort of, you know, I think a good, a great TikTok of these, these you know, these incidents. Um, you know, I think I'd step back and say, you know, one is that, you know, the, on the one hand, video has given us a lot of information. On the other hand, it hides a lot of information. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword that way. What are we watching? What's the context? What happened before? What happened after? And these are questions that often don't get asked. Um, you know, the video is shared and, and responses, you know, happen. Um, you know, I think we're talking about generally situations that are very volatile, very fast moving, um, and very difficult, right? And, and so to, to, to expect that there's a kind of clear cut morality play at, you know, oftentimes the reality is much messier. Now, on the other hand, I do think it's fair for citizens to ask questions about, you know, how they're being protected and what techniques and methods are being used to protect them. I mean, I think as a citizen in a democracy, those are fair questions to ask. Now, I have to say, you know, I, I've, you know, tried to learn about the greater context of the Blake shooting, and, and, and those points are valid to me. I mean, I don't think I would wear Jacob Blake's name on, on my paraphernalia. On the other hand, and this is just me being Ari as a human, the idea of shooting someone in the back, something about it rubs me the wrong way um, as a citizen. Um, and, you know, and I think it's fair to feel those conflicting things at the same time. I want to give people permission to say, this is complicated. Please do incredibly different work, difficult work. And something about a man being paralyzed and being shot in the back is, you know, might, you know, might be an occasion to ask questions about what te- was there a better way? What techniques were being used? Um, 
and you know how can we how can we do better? That that's fair. That's fair. But uh, the only the only way I'll push back is like, do the lives of the of the officers not matter in a sense where what happens in theory that he's got? I mean, it, it, it was reported that he had a knife on him, and that. But what happens if he was going into a glove compartment to pull out a firearm? Right. I sure. mean, sure. it's just like, as we said before, sometimes that there are messy things that happen, but, you know, and we try and, and you got to sometimes take the emotion out of it. And like the facts have to matter. And, and I, mm-hmm. and I, I just, what, what bothers me about the whole thing is like, it's like, this is the hill that you're looking to plant the flag on right now. Like given all the facts that have come out, like, where are the guys saying, oh, well, when we learned more about it, you know, we we yeah. take back some of it. I mean, it, the, the issues, you know, policing, there, there, there are issues that, that go beyond this, beyond George Floyd, fine. But, like, if this is the hill you're looking to, to plant your flag, I was about to say something else. Yeah. Is yeah. this the yeah. hill that you're about, you're going you're gonna to plant your flag on, like? This ain't it, right? Right. And, well, and, I think that's you know, I, yeah, yeah. I think that's a great point. I mean, I think you know, in law, there's this idea of the perfect plaintiff. You know, you want your you know grandma who's hit by the bus to have been the kindest person in the world, and the jury can imagine that she's their grandma, and you know how she would you know bring chocolates for the grandkids every Friday. I mean, you know, the, yeah, you'd like to have Mother Teresa as your hill. But I think we're dealing with very complicated, very fast moving, very um, fraught encounters, you know, and to, to your earlier question, of course, the police lives matter, lives matter. Too. Of course. I mean, I, I think, you know, th- there's no question about it. Um, I, I just think the way these and go back to your original point, the way these moments are captured by video, right? On the one hand, video seems like proof. You know, we got it. It's like when you're watching an instant replay in the NFL, right? It's like, did the ball cut across the plane? And you're like, yeah, it did. We nailed it. But on the other hand, video can mislead, right? Video can be edited. Video can be partial. Um, and and then you get into situations like this where it's sort of what's left out of the video, right? What, what wasn't recorded and, and what's the bigger story? I, I just – at a certain point, facts have to matter. We have to govern based on facts. And and if, you know, there's a, a change in evidence, like, that should be spoken about. Because then you come right. out and spread this false narrative. And I sent you a couple right. of links that, like, you know, LeBron James is trying to talk about police reform. Like, LeBron James doesn't know anything about police reform, Right. Uh, or, or even worse was the the Instagram clip I, I sent you of uh, Michael Wilbon on part of the interruption, who basically said, "Stop shooting people!" Right, without any context. Mm-hmm. Like he's building this case that the police force in the United States of America is going out and hunting black men for the sole purpose that they are black. Right, that is right. what right. he said, and that is incredibly dangerous to spread to the American public. 
And he's not the only one who said that, you know. And and right. and ESPN right. is a is a cable channel. We've seen that in prime time on non cable news. It's it's sure. insane. Sure. And you know, and and of of course, you know, like large percentages of the police force are African American and Asian American and other minorities. And you know, the police force is a representation of who we are. And you know, I I think to, totally right to make to make to say that make that kind of demonization is is a bad thing. You know, another part of this, and just to reinforce your point, is that what often happens in these situations is that, to your point about evidence, you know, in fact, is lawsuits are brought, right? And oftentimes the officers are acquitted. Now, you can say maybe sometimes it's because, you know, people are sympathetic to law enforcement, okay. But in a lot of cases, it's because, you know, the evidence actually isn't there in the way that it's presented in the court of public opinion. And that in turn fuels further outrage, right, and a sense of a kind of miscarriage of justice. So, so oftentimes, you know, these things rebound to make a kind of worse situation than if, you know, the response had been kind of more measured and nuanced as you're advocating at the beginning. Oh, you mean you mean making something a complete race issue when it's not a race issue is a problem? <laughs> well, you know, my, my point was was just that oftentimes these things do go to trial and, you know, it becomes clear that, you know, what people want to people want to hold a trial in the court of public opinion. And, you know, that often is at odds with, you know, what the actual facts um, might show. I mean, just before we go and and the last the last um the last topic politics and sports, I just wanted to you know share a tweet by uh, Herschel Walker, right? The the running back Herschel Walker uh, from the eighties and nineties. He goes, "My father told me when my brothers in blue asked me to cooperate, please cooperate." To my brothers in blue, if I cooperate, please treat us with respect, so we can both go home to our families. Seems like, seems logical, right? Like I, I just yeah. what, what's wrong with that? Yeah. Why yeah, can't that I be agree. the response? I agree. I agree. I also, you know, and, and this, I also, you know, I also understand that there's a, a lot of hurt in the, in the black community and that these, these events do trigger something, do, do sort of hit a nerve, you know, and I, I try to listen and, and kind of try to understand what that is and, you know, and, and go from there. I mean, I, I think there is this sort of sense of, you know, another, another one. Um, and that might go to what we're talking about before with the NBA of, of sort of like the sequence of these events that are like very charged and very fraught. Um, but um, I don't know. It's been a tough summer that way. But, but the concept of another one, of just picking another one for the sake of another one, cheapens the real ones, right? Like we talk mm -hmm. about the Me Too movement in a sense like this also, not to bring that, not to bring that into it, but like – it's just if you're gonna make a point, you better make the point with right the the right ones, right? Choose you want you want right to make the, you want to make the point with with Harvey Weinstein, not with yes. uh, Aziz Ansari. Let's say right. Correct, and and the same thing goes for police brutality and you know potential potential racism with um you know police and 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 mm -hmm. um and civilians. It just Mm -hmm. I, I, it can't always be a race issue. It can't. Mm -hmm. It can't because mm -hmm. that's not the way you heal wounds. 
Right. And for and for the media to doctor the video to make it sound look like a race issue, and then for Michael Wilbon to get on TV and say things like that, I'm just using him as an example. That just makes it worse. And and you and I can't relate, right? We we can we can't relate. We I don't know about you, but I've never had an issue, you know, with a police officer when I've been pulled over. Everything has been yeah. quite cordial, but like the facts need to matter. They just need to matter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I think you're right. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Last thing about politics and sports. So as I mentioned, uh, so and the NBA has sort of taken this. And this is what I guess we're going to tie it back to sports. The NBA has taken this where they've become the woke league, right? They've become the socially conscious league. Mm-hmm. And as a result, you know, and, and it may be other things, but you could point to the fact that they've done that, that the NBA ratings are down. They're down like 40 percent since 2012, something crazy. Right. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. can also, you know, you, you can point to the NBA's involvement, you know, and their partnership with China. Right. And that they're, you know, China are not good people. Right. So first and foremost, you mentioned a little bit before, but politics as a whole, how involved do you think they should be in sports? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, my preference would, would be, as I mentioned before, to keep, I don't know, to keep it to a minimum a little bit, just because, you know, I think I'm, in a, I'm more broadly interested in the fact that as a society where everything is coming so becoming so politicized, you know, I want to create and keep islands of the non-political, you know, um, in the same way that, you know, as someone might go to a museum because, you know, they, they just want to think about something different, you know, or like go to right. a concert or go to a sports game. I, I mean, I just think, you know, we want to keep those parts of culture, you know, away from the hustle and bustle of politics or keep it at political at like a very high level, you know, like the national anthem or, you know, it, it, that it can be a unifying, hopefully a unifying force. Now, the, I'm glad you brought up the China question, Aaron, because this is a serious issue. I mean, it's become apparent, you know, the hope in the 90s was that as China becomes richer, it'll become more democratic and it'll become a greater respecter of human rights. In fact, the opposite has happened. China has become less free. China has become more totalitarian and its abuses have grown ever more egregious. Now, it puts the enti- much of the West in a tough position, but especially the NBA, which bet big on China and was rewarded big, right? I mean, China, before, the NBA was really the first league to go global. Um, and a lot of that had to do with Michael Jordan as those listeners who, who watched The Last Dance, you know, will, will remember. So, you know, I think the NBA is in a tough spot, but I do think, you know, people need to keep the heat up on the NBA that, you know, that they're, un, you know, I mean, we saw what happened with Dow Mori and, and others, you know, what's happening in China, especially with the Uyghurs and with Hong Kong are about as egregious as you can get, you know, and do I expect the NBA to behave with total moral courage? No. Do I expect it to use its enormous leverage a little bit? Yeah, I do. You know, um, well, I don't think that's too when much. They, to ask. When you say use their use their leverage, you know, 
where? Right. Where I mean, would you want the right. user or, to leverage? Or, 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 you know, listeners might say, all right, it's actually it's China that has all the leverage, right? The league, the league needs China more than China needs the NBA, um, and that's a problem. But I think, um, you know, I, I, I think there is a dissonance between being so alert to injustice at home and being so blind and deaf to it abroad. Um, and I think if the NBA is going to have a business relationship with China, and it's been cut back because of Maury's comments, it, it has to figure out a way. I would love if one player, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe one has, has, has something about Hong Kong on their jersey. Zero. Or something about the, 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 Uyghur, the Uyghur Muslims who are being herded into industrial concentration camps. It you never, know, one player. It, it, it's, not, it's not there because on the list of phrases that you were allowed to have on your back of your jersey, that wasn't included. Just like you never saw right. anything about, you know, anti-Semitism or anti-Semitic remarks right. by former right. players, right? right? Adam Silver, right. a member of the tribe, right? right. Didn't make a public right. statement, Okay, didn't make a public statement. So here's my thing about politics and sports, right? You create, think of it as a business, right? You create an extremely slippery slope once you get involved in it, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not telling Adam Silver to police players' individual individual Twitter or Instagram accounts or Facebook. Telling them what they can't do say that anyway. Can't do yeah. that. No question. But as a league as a whole, you should be able to come down and say, quote, we're not going to do this ridiculousness with phrases on the back of the jerseys. We're not going to put Black Lives Matter on the court because the phrase Black Lives Matter and Black Lives Matter Inc. are two very, very different things, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to do this because – We are a private business. And then if you're a private business, a for-profit business, and you decide to get into bed with China, right, that's your choice. You're a private business. That's okay. You're not doing anything illegal. Mm -hmm. But then for you to go down this path and, and, you know, and LeBron James says it all the time. He quotes Martin Luther King. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, right? And then Mm -hmm. when Daryl Morey comes out against, you know, China for how they're treating the people of Hong Kong. And he says, I don't know if Daryl Moore really knows what he's talking about. Like, give me a fucking yeah. break. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you're, I think you're, and you're absolutely right. And this is where your, your previous comment about having skin in the game to take us full circle ends yes. up. Right. I mean, you know, there's a way in which, you know, China threatens the NBA's business. Now, you, now you have provided listeners with evidence that the NBA's ratings and revenues have gone down. I, I think that's probably a complicated. Well, ratings, not fact, revenues, but, ratings, ratings, ratings. I mean, but, but let's before just, the COVID let's outbreak, say, revenues are up. Right. Because the salary right. cap so let's just, up. Right. Let's just say Black Lives Matter doesn't, you know, cost the NBA in the same way. Then I think it's fair to say, hey, listen, you know, like you're, you're alert to injustice when, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to, to protest, but not, you know, when it cuts to, you know, the core of your overseas expansion and, and your overseas business. But, you know, I think we're in uncharted territory here. 
Um, and I think you're right to say that, you know, take, you know, taking a stand on one thing, you know, opens up a lot of other things as well. And it's also harder to step back. You know, it's harder I, to imagine the NBA stepping back. So we're kind of, you know, we kind of jumped off a cliff and we're not really sure where we're going to land or how far we're going to go. Um, and there's something about that that's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of uncertain uh, what, the, what the future looks like. And when you mentioned, you know, contrasting David Stern to Adam Silver, in this regard, I truly believe that Adam Silver has failed the NBA. He's mm-hmm. failed the NBA because at, at a certain yeah. point, you have to be the adult in the room and see the forest from the trees, right? And- yeah, but Aaron, let, you know, I agree. I, I hear you, but I also think that, like, you know, we I'd love to see more reporting about what happened behind the scenes on this and maybe a book eventually by someone who writes about the, the bubble and this whole moment. But, you know, but if, if the point was that if he didn't do these things, the players weren't going to play. Then, then I sure, think we're back to a little bit fair. where we started. Where we started with is, is is having the games. You know, is that what the important thing? You know, um, and what kind of negotiations are we willing to to you know to have to make that happen? But but these things are you know you don't see the same sorts of things in in baseball, for example, um, or in or who knows what the NFL will look like. But but I think you're right that the the NBA has gone out on a particular limb in the way that its its fellow sports leagues have not. At a certain point, you have to – and I don't know what the line is, right? I don't know what the line is. And and I guess the media networks are going to dictate what that line is. But at a certain point, Adam Silver's got to put his foot down and say, guys. like, and, and, he, and I think he has the ability to do so more than he had – more than he's done because he's built up some goodwill with the players. But mm-hmm. it's just like – I mean – we need for the for the sake of the business, we need to rein this back, and and he's got to be the adult in the room because there's yeah. a, there may come a point, and it may be sooner rather than later. There may come a point where, you know, the TV networks and again, ratings are not everything, but they're gonna be like, if less and less right people now, are right watching, now, no, but uh, right right now they're everything. I mean, there's nobody right? in the fans. The fans, yeah. It's just it's a slippery slope, and as a private business, and I, I, and and this is my philosophy across any for-profit business. You want to be, you want to, you know, be super political. Go for it. That that's that's your own right. But when when you when you include the totality of the business of having the having that mantra, that's where you get yourself into trouble. Yeah, and I and yeah. I do. I mean, I- I just think at, at a certain point, it, it, you got to draw a line. Be like, listen, you guys can say whatever you want. You have big, you have big enough individual platforms beyond the league, right? I mean, how many Instagram followers does LeBron James have? How many Twitter followers does Steph Curry have? Be outspoken there. It doesn't yeah. need to be within the confines of things having to do with the NBA. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, that, that's a, that's a really interesting point. It's like what you know what what is the what is the division of what should be done by the league and what should be done by the individual players um especially as players become kind of their own brands you know um and they're all more than brands you know lebron is is a is a business you know is 
you know, is a billion dollar, whatever, billion and a half dollar sure. corporation. Um, who's, take, who's made a lot of money off of China, by the way. Sure. Sure. Uh, it's 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 a interesting thing. I guess last question is so you get the news. You're you're Adam Silver. You get the news about what Milwaukee does. How do you handle it? You know, what's your next move? Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, I, I we just, had, I, right, I hold think... on before you answer. We have the luxury of sitting back and seeing how it unfolded to answer mm-hmm. this question. So yeah. let, let's keep that in mind. And, and to be fair yeah. to him, because, you know, in real time, this is this is tough. But I guess now yeah. that kind of hindsight's twenty twenty, how would you have handled it? Yeah, yeah I mean, listen, I, I think, you know, I, I think Adam, the greatest danger for Adam Silver, I think, was being seen as – you know, force and just in terms of optic and in terms of his own constituency, was would be seen to force the players to play. I mean, you know, that might have happened in the days of the giant commissioners. You know, you know, Kennesaw Mountain Landis or Bart Giamatti or you know whatever David Stern. I, 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 you know, it just wasn't going to work. You know, he couldn't he couldn't put his foot down. I think given that reality i think the idea that there was a one or two night break and then a resumption is the best you could have hoped for um you know i think i think on the one hand you had the you know the disaster of forcing players to play them refusing owners splintering i mean i just think it would have been a mess on the other hand you have the disaster of them canceling the whole season i think a middle course of maybe saying okay we're not going to play for a day then you know things will resume. It could have been worse, I think. It could, yeah. I guess I get. I, I also i. I guess if I had to answer the same question, I, I would have liked. And I don't. And again, you outlined a lot of why this may not have been super practical. But I would have liked for him to have said, "I understand why you did this. I I am not anti what you did." But we got to follow through with the forfeit. And then it just means something, right? Then it mm-hmm. meant something. It gave, mm-hmm. it, it gave it a little bit more weight. But I, you know what? I, the more and more I think about it, I, I'm not 100% sure. But I, I do think Adam Silver's going down a line where it's – he's get, I, I, I really think he's getting himself into a bit of a pickle here. Right. And remember, I mean, in, you know, just a couple of, I don't know, weeks ago, Adam Silver was the toast of the sports world. He pulled off the miracle, right, of no positive tests and a bubble yeah. and the playoffs resuming. And so it just shows you how difficult. And, you know, to go back to our first point that you there's so many crises happening right now, you know, that you can you can do, you know, you can have one under control and then and then stumble, stumble elsewhere. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. The whole thing was crazy. I mean, it, and it was really a, and for lack of a better word, I think it was like a it was a watershed moment in in sports culture and in pop culture. And it and it it's a lot more nuanced and level than everybody on Twitter gives it credit for. But Ari, this was wonderful. I think this was really what great. A great. What a great conversation. Thank you so much. And, you know, I'll keep listening and hopefully you can get back to talking about, you know, what happens between the lines. But yes, you well, know, it, regular it, it schedule. Is good to step back. 
Yeah. Regular scheduled programming should be coming tomorrow night, but I just felt that, you know, and you and I kind of lean different ways and mm. it, it was good to at least talk to somebody who doesn't necessarily always agree with what you have to say because that's, you know, I guess use us as a model for uh, America going forward in terms of discourse, right? That, that we can have, you know, civil yeah. conversation. But this was wonderful. I, re I really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. Totally. And, uh, just, yeah. And, and I um, thank you so much. And thanks for having me on. And, uh, you know, as you know, the fall, fall has fall has been in the air the past couple of days. And, you know, and I guess we're we're on to we're on to the NFL soon. And, and I'm sure you'll have a lot to, lot to say about that. But thank you so much, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to my guest tonight, Mr. Ari Hoffman. A little bit of a different uh, type of episode, as I mentioned before, but I thought it was a great conversation and one that I really believe was needed to be had. Uh, that's episode 86. There will be regular scheduled content tomorrow night and uh, maybe doing a guest appearance on somebody else's show later this week. So look out for that. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.